Morning, church family. You guys grab a seat. I want to say welcome to all of you who are here with us as well as to our online church family. Uh, if, you, if you're new here, maybe your first, second time here, we haven't met. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of your pastors here at New Life. And before we dive into the message, I'd like to just pause and uh, ask the Lord to be with us as we dive in. Heavenly Father, we come to you in my confession uh, this morning, and I, and I hope that our collective confession as a faith family would be that we don't need a word from a man this morning. You know, nobody in this room, nobody online needs to hear my opinion about anything. God, what we need is a word from you. And so we ask that your spirit would be here, that your spirit would be present, that you would take these ancient words that are God-breathed words and that you would take them and apply them to our hearts and our spirits in very unique and individual ways in each of our lives in a way that actually transforms us for our good and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you are new here, we are in a message series in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, turn your app on, head to 1 Thessalonians. That's where we'll be. And this series is called Holiness, Hostility, and Hope. A very timely message series, I think, for where we are as Americans uh, in our culture today. And I just want to ask you a question for you to kind of ponder as we uh, jump in this morning. Have you ever been on the receiving end of perhaps gossip or slander? Now, if you've ever been to middle school, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I, I often joke, I think God invented middle school to give us a taste of what hell is like so that we wouldn't wanna go. Like, yes, I'll follow Jesus, just don't, don't make me live there forever. And so if, you're, uh, if you are in middle school, good news, uh, it does get better, life gets better. You just gotta kinda hang in there for a while. Uh, kinda reminded me this week as I was studying uh, that movie that came out like a decade ago or something like that, Mean Girls. I don't know if any of you guys watch uh, secular, non-Christian. I mean, I've just heard about it, didn't actually watch it. I was probably busy studying the Greek and praying, but for, for you sinners who watched it, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, or maybe you, you heard the nursery rhyme or the kids rhyme uh, kind of that I heard growing up. You probably did too. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me or hurt me, right? Which is like the biggest lie ever told, right? <laughs> because, right, false, false words, gossip, slander can destroy a person, right? It can destroy their reputation. It's no joke, which is one reason I think God takes gossip and slander so seriously in the Bible, right? It's a sin. It's toxic. It's dangerous and deadly. But that seems to be exactly what the Apostle Paul is experiencing as we step into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, before we dive into the text, one thing that you have to know about the ancient world is that it was common to have kind of like traveling philosophers or charlatans who would go from city to city, and they basically served as local entertainment, right? So you have to remember 2,000 years ago, like we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have social media, there were no movie theaters, right? And so entertainment was hard to come by. And so when these traveling philosophers would kind of roll into a town and they would begin to speak in a public square, they would draw huge crowds of people. And oftentimes these charlatans or philosophers would tend to prey upon vulnerable people in the crowd, right? And so they would take advantage of them, uh, oftentimes financially, sometimes even sexually, um, and then they would kind of bounce. They would be gone to the next city. And so by the time that pe people realized that they had been had, 
that philosopher, charlatan, was already gone on to the next city. It was a common scam in the ancient world. So it appears that some of Paul's detractors, probably some of the people that were in that mob that were were responsible for, for his public beating and humiliation and imprisonment in the city of Philippi, likely followed him down into Thessalonica, where Paul and Timothy and Silas had just planted this beautiful, brand new, vibrant church in Thessalonica. And they were telling these brand new believers that Paul was one and the same as these traveling philosophical charlatans, right? And so as we read the letter, you can almost hear the whispers that Paul is combating, right? That these people kind of came in after Paul, after they received the gospel message, and they're going, hey, like, Paul doesn't care about you guys. You, you think he really cares about you? Like, he was only here for what, like a month or two? Like, why do you think he left so quickly? He was just here to take advantage of you. He was just after your money. He was just trying to get famous. Like the Apostle Paul is a fraud. And so his message is also a fraud. And so what we're gonna see Paul do in the bulk of the second chapter of this letter, he's gonna do two things. The first thing he's gonna do is is he's gonna present a kind of a robust defense against his detractors and these false teachers, right? Not not so much because he, he cares about his own reputation, but because Paul wants to ferociously defend the reputation of Jesus. So that's one thing he's gonna do. He's gonna kind of present a robust defense against these lies, uh, these slanderous people that are are telling lies about Paul and the gospel. And then the second thing he's gonna do is he's gonna give us a practical pattern of life that that we can follow as disciples of Jesus, right? And so he, he intends for us to imitate him as he imitates Jesus. So it's kind of this idea of, hey guys, hey, brand new Christians in Thessalonica, like, you, you saw how we lived among you, right? Like we lived among you, you saw us, you saw the pattern of life that we lived out. We wanna invite you into that same pattern of life because this is what it means to follow Jesus, right? He wants us to live worthy lives as we follow a worthy savior. And I think that's a good, uh, noble desire. And so let's get after it. First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse one. We're gonna go through verse 12 this morning. This is the apostle Paul addressing these brand new Uh, baby Christians in a city called Thessalonica. And and again, they're being lied to by these false teachers. He says this, for you yourselves know brothers and sisters that our coming to you was not in vain. He said, listen guys, you you know that when we were with you, there was was a fruitfulness there. There was a spiritual fruitfulness. There was not in vain. There was, it was not without result. Interestingly, four times in just these 12 verses, Paul's going to say something like, you guys, you guys know, you, we lived among you. You saw how we lived. He's gonna say things like, you guys are our witnesses. He's gonna say things like, you guys saw with your own eyes how we preached this good news and how we lived it out among you. Four times, the apostle Paul's gonna to appeal to his own life and his own behavior among these brand new Christians as evidence or proof that the gospel message is authentic. Now, now that's, that's an amazing thing that the apostle Paul would point at his own life and his own behavior and say, my life serves as evidence that my message is true. But I think that's really important for us. And that's actually our first truth this morning. So if you wanna look up on the screens, if you're a note taker, here's the first big truth. Our lives are the evidence of our message. Our lives are the evidence of our message. It's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, guys, living an authentically Christ-like life is what authenticates the message that is coming out of our mouth. 
And if I'm being honest, I think uh, one of my fears is that for, for far too often, far too many of us who profess to be followers of Jesus, we speak one message with our mouths and almost immediately we discredit it with the way we live our lives. Oh, we can, we can, we can talk a good game, right? Especially when we're around other church people, when we're around other believers, man. We can, we can post uh, scripture on our social media like a champ, man. We can stick a little Jesus fish sticker on our car with the best of them but let somebody cut us off in traffic on I-26 during rush hour. Let somebody be rude to us or mistreat us in the workplace or at church or at school and let's see what our character really looks like. Let, let, let us come home after a super long or stressful day at work and let our spouse not serve us the way we think we deserve to be served after a long day. And then we see what our character really reveals about our hearts, right? And y'all, let, 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 me, let me just say, lest you think that I'm up here casting stones from like, a, like an elevated perch of self-righteousness, know that this hits home deeply and personally for me. Because you may not know me very well, but I know me really well. I know my heart better than anyone. And I know how selfish I can tend to be, especially when I'm tired or stressed or fatigued. I'm just telling you, man, I can get real Chris-focused instead of real Jesus-focused real fast. And Paul is just gently reminding us, pointing back to his own life and his own example, and he's saying, guys, brothers, sisters, don't you understand? Our lives are the evidence of our message. It's important. This is not a side note. This is crucial this is critical to the gospel message we have to make sure that our words and our actions and the way that we live our lives align with what we espouse as followers of Jesus and so Paul is saying follow me as I follow Jesus imitate me as I imitate Jesus then he continues on in verse 2 and he says this but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi as you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, if you go to the book of Acts chapter 16, you can kind of read about this narrative. You can see that before Paul and his posse go into Thessalonica to plant a church, they actually go to another city first called Philippi, and they plant this vibrant, awesome, healthy church in that city as well. But there's an incident that's really interesting that takes place when they're in Philippi planting this awesome brand new uh, church. So Paul actually encounters this uh, slave girl who's demon-possessed, and he casts out the demon. And the only problem with this instance is that the slave girl uh, was, was kind of a fortune teller, right? And so she was making a lot of money for her master, right? So the spirit in her, the, the demon in her could kind of tell fortunes, and, and people were like, oh, shot, couldn't believe that this little girl was telling them all this stuff about their lives. And so they were paying her master lots of money so that she would tell fortunes. Well, Paul comes in in the name of Jesus and casts this demon out of this poor little slave girl, and the master, the owner, the guy that's making all the money is enraged, right? Because that's his source of income, right? Just went, just dried up. And so he riles people up and he drags Paul and his posse in front of the city leaders and the city leaders actually publicly beat Paul and, his, uh, and, his, and the other disciples that are traveling with him. They throw him in prison through God's providence that night. There's an earthquake. They break out of jail. 
right? And then they're out there sharing the gospel again, and the city leaders are, are petrified. They're kind of freaked out by that. They're like, dude, please just leave. We don't know who you are. We don't know what kind of power is following you around, but, but please just, just leave us alone. Please leave. And so Paul leaves. And so you got to understand, when they come to Thessalonica, they're still licking their wounds, Right, so they're, they're still beat up, they're busted up, they're bloody, they're bandaged up, right? They, they roll into Thessalonica with a limp. And so Paul is saying to these Thessalonians who are hearing all these false, slanderous rumors and lies about him, he said, guys, you know how we suffered with you. You know how we suffered for the sake of the God. Like you saw us bandaging our wounds as we shared the hope of Jesus with you. And even in that, you know that we didn't shrink back. We did not cower in fear. We were bold in proclaiming the gospel to you in much affliction and pain and suffering. And Paul, Paul is again appointing to the pattern of his own life as something worthy of imitation. And here's the reality, guys. I, I think that their boldness, Paul and the posse that rolled in with them, I think their boldness in the face of massive adversity is likely one of the things that drew these Thessalonians to the message of Jesus Christ. It's actually watching these guys suffer for the sake of Jesus that, that drew them in. And so this is the second point also on the screens for you. Christian boldness waters the seed of fruitfulness. Christian boldness waters the seed of fruitfulness. In other words, man, it's, it's often as the world sees us suffer oppression and mistreatment and still cling to Jesus as our highest treasure on this earth that draws them oftentimes to the message of Jesus. Reminds me of a really famous quote from Tertullian, a second, second century church father. This quote will be on the screens for you. This is what Tertullian said. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And isn't that true as we look back throughout church history, right? The Roman Empire learned this the same way that modern day communist China is learning this, the same way that Islamic Iran is learning this today. That the more you try to silence and oppress the church, the faster it grows. Now, it may have to go underground. It may be meeting in people's basements at 2 o'clock in the morning or out in the middle of the woods. But grow, it does. And I just want to say, church, as modern-day American Christians, we may not be suffering today the way our brothers and sisters are currently suffering in China or Afghanistan or Pakistan or Iran or Iraq but our boldness in the face of adversity, even in our culture today, is still the seed that waters fruitfulness. So I just wanna encourage you, be bold in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about being bold in, a, in an obnoxious way, in a rude way, in an off-putting way. I'm talking about being bold in a, in a winsome way, seasoned with grace, but we must not shrink back from our call to boldly follow Jesus and his ways in a world and a culture that not only sees that as oftentimes foolish, but even today oftentimes as bigoted, narrow-minded, and dangerous even. And yet though we are perceived that way, we want to be disarming with the way that we live and love people in our culture. So it continues on in verse three, Paul does, and he says this, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul's saying, guys, listen, we, we, we did not come like these traveling philosophers. It's simply not true. We didn't come with any deceit. We didn't come with any impurity. We didn't come with any error. We had no ulterior motives at all, only to bring you the authentic message of Jesus Christ. 
Now I gotta tell you, uh, one of the things, and I've said this before, one of the things that I love about uh, New Life, as a community church, as a non-denominational church, man, we, we really do draw people from every conceivable spiritual background, right? So we got plenty of uh, people that have come out of the Baptist background, that's kind of my tribe. We got people here, uh, some of my favorite people here, some of my favorite friends here come out of a, a Presbyterian background and so we can have some, some really robust, uh, uh, interesting discussions about baptism and when we get to heaven one day, I'll accept their apology graciously that I was right and they were wrong. Um, we got people from Methodist backgrounds here. We have more Catholics that you could shake a stick at here. Then we've got former Mormons here. We got one sister who recently moved who was a former Wiccan. She just moved to another city. Now we got it all. And I love that. I love that we draw and we have such a big umbrella, but it also presents some very unique challenges for our leadership, our pastoral team here. Oftentimes, and one of those issues is that oftentimes we have to spend months, sometimes years, deconstructing really harmful theology in people's lives before we can even start to build a healthy system of understanding what the gospel is and how to follow Jesus. Now listen, guys, we live in a day and an age, especially with the internet, there's so, listen guys, there's so much access to dangerous teachings and teachers out there who are full of error and who are deceiving many. I'm talking about men and women who wish to erode your confidence that you should have in the Bible, that it is the written, God-breathed, authoritative word from God for us. Men and women who wish to erode your confidence in God's design for human flourishing in the area of sexuality or gender or marriage or finances or identity or any other number of areas. And so let me just say, along with Paul this morning, brother and sister, please be careful who you allow to influence your heart and your spirit. It is massively important. The books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the sermons you watch, because there are many out there in our day, as there were in Paul's day, who are full of error that are trying to deceive you with impure motives. Reminds me of uh, the word that the apostle Paul had for, for young Timothy, a young pastor, and I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have this on the screens for you. I'm just gonna read it to you. This is 2 Timothy 4, 3, if you wanna look it up, make sure I'm not lying about it. But this is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy about kind of, kind of the end times, how things are gonna be. This is what he says. I think it's super relevant for us today. Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist. That just means share the gospel with, with other people and fulfill your ministry. So I just wanna say along with Paul to our church family today in 2022 in Asheville, North Carolina, brother, sister, please be careful who you allow to influence your heart, in your mind, and your soul. If you wanna go deeper during the week, I think that's awesome. If you don't know who to listen to, reach out. Send us an email, info at nlcca.org. We can point you in the right direction of solid teachers and authors for you to dig into. Just to name a few, 
J.D. Greer, one of my favorite authors and pastors, Summit Church, Durham, North Carolina. Our staff reads his books, super solid content. Matt Chandler, The Village Church in Dallas, Texas. Jen Wilkin, The Village Church, Dallas, Texas. Jackie Hill Perry, just to name a few. I could give you a dozen. If you wanna know, reach out, let us, let us point you in the right, right direction. But please, brother and sister, guard your hearts and your minds. There's so many out there who are trying to deceive and are deceiving many. We have to be careful. Paul was concerned about this 2,000 years ago. I'm concerned about this uh, in 2022. We've gotta be careful. Verse four, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, now this is important, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now this one is huge, guys. Paul, Paul is saying, listen, we, we as followers of Jesus, we've been entrusted by God with the most potent, life-changing message in history, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we speak, we do not speak to please men, we speak to please God. And that's the third truth that I really wanna drive home this morning, also on the screens for you. Number three, in a world of people pleasers, be a Jesus pleaser, brother or sister. In a world of people pleasers, choose to be a Jesus pleaser. Now this is hard, is it not? Because our inclination, at least my inclination, my natural inclination, is to want people to like us, right? I'll be the first one to raise my hand this morning and say, man, I sense in my own heart the seed of being a people pleaser. I'm not proud of that, I don't like that, I hate that about myself, I fight against that, but I'm just telling you, it's a temptation. And there are often times as I, as I prep to preach a sermon, man, I'm just telling you, I am tempted to water down or reframe or sugarcoat something that I need to preach. To maybe just say it in a different way because I know it's gonna tick a lot of people off. And I don't wanna deal with the emails and I don't wanna deal with the meetings and I don't wanna deal with the junk. I'm like, man, God, for real? This again? Just did this three months ago. I don't wanna deal with this. I got stuff to do. Okay, okay, God, you know? I'll, I'll do it, right? But th that temptation is in my heart. Why? Because I'm a punk with a sinful heart and I need Jesus. That's why. I need him every single day of my life because I'm tempted to, to drift, right? Just like I think most of us are, but at the end of the day, you just need to understand, I have made a commitment as a pastor that come hell or high water, I'm going to preach this book like my life depends on it. Because at the end of the day, listen guys, I know I'm gonna stand before a perfect and holy creator and I'm going to give an account for how I shepherded this church family and how I preached these scriptures. And so I must care more about pleasing God than pleasing any of you even though I really love you and I really want you to like me probably far more than I should. But at the end of the day, God's approval is what has to drive and motivate me to get out of the bed every, every single morning. And Paul is exhorting all of us to this mindset. And he's saying, brother, sister, listen, don't, don't live for the fleeting opinions of men. Don't, don't live for the approval of your friends at your high school or on your college campus. Don't seek the approval of a culture of darkness that is anti-gospel. Instead, live for an audience of one. Live to please King Jesus and nobody else. He's saying, listen guys, in a world of people pleasers, 
Be a Jesus pleaser, even when it costs you something because it will cost you something. And Paul modeled this. Again, he's got bandages and blood dripping out of his nose when he rolls in. He knew all about the price that he had to pay to follow Jesus and live in his ways in a countercultural way. Verse five, for we never came, Paul says, with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul's saying, guys, listen, we, we didn't come in like these traveling philosophers and charlatans with like flattery language to try to butter you up so that we could get your money or something else. We didn't come in with greedy motives or seeking glory or fame for ourselves from you or anybody else. So you guys know how we lived. Like we were with, don't you remember? We were with you. We lived life with you. We ate dinner together. We ate breakfast together. We went to the market together. Don't you remember? Right? We came with pure motives, seeking only the fame and glory of Jesus and your good. That's it. That's the only reason we came. And so Paul has, for the first few verses, really kind of laid out how they didn't come. Right? We didn't come in flattery. We, we didn't come with greed. We didn't come in error. We didn't come in impurity. We didn't come to please man. Now he's going to contrast how they didn't come with how they did come. And he's going to say, we came to you like a caring mother and an encouraging father. Beautiful picture. Starting in verse seven. He writes this. But we were, we were gentle among you, he says. We weren't, we weren't mean. We weren't harsh with our words. We were, we were gentle with you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And Paul is saying, man, just like, a, just like a loving mom cares for her newborn baby, right? Protects that baby. If you've ever, uh, if you've ever been a nursing mom or been married to a nursing mom or, or just witnessed other, like there, there's something about that relationship that intimacy between a, a young mother and that infant, right? Where she's protecting that baby. She's nourishing it so it can grow in a healthy way. And Paul's going, listen, guys, that's how we cared for you. We were loving with you. We were gentle with you. We, we protected you. We fed you the gospel so that you could grow spiritually and mature spiritually. That, like, that's how we came. Like, don't listen to these guys who are trying to lie about us and slander. Remember back to how we lived our lives with you. You know these things to be true. You know that we didn't come with any impure motives. Verse eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, or your translation may say our very lives, because you had become very dear to us. I love Paul. Paul's a bit of a, a wordsmith, isn't he? he kind of starts that passage, and he says, being affectionately desirous of you. Kind of reminds me of the movie Pride and Prejudice, right? Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth, right? Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Dawes, one of my wife's favorite movies. Uh, I would admit that it's one of my favorite movies, but I would have to leave my man card at the back. And so, um, ah, it's all right, I'll, I'll put it in the back. It's one of my favorite movies too. I, I, I like it a lot, okay? Um, but that, that's kind of what I think about as I, as I watch Paul write this, right? This is, this is Paul's eloquent language to say, hey, listen, God, I love you boys. 
I love you, sisters. Man, like, I love y'all. I love y'all. I can't stop thinking about you. I can't stop praying for you. Like, I did my best to prove it to you by doing two things when I was with you. Number one, he says, by sharing the gospel with you and also sharing our very lives with you. I proved the message was true by sharing the gospel and sharing my life with you. And what an example for us, church. What are the two things that we should be sharing both with one another and the world outside of our church family? The gospel and our very lives. Word and deed. Proclamation and demonstration. We share the gospel with our lips and then we live it out so people know it's actually true. Paul's saying, this is what I did with you. This is what I'm calling you to. I want you to follow Jesus in this way. Verse nine, he continues on. He says, for you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul is going, listen guys, remember back, it wasn't that long ago we were with you. Remember back to our time, you're witnesses of our lives and our conduct, as is God, that we lived both privately and publicly in a way that was blameless among you. No, we weren't perfect. No, we weren't sinless. No, we, it's not that we never made mistakes, but our conduct was righteous. Right? There, there, there were no sexual scandals when we were with you. There were no accusations of money laundering or man, like, like none of that stuff. We weren't perfect, but we did our best to live a gospel-centered, gospel-focused, blameless life among you so that you would believe the message that was coming out of our mouths. Now, you, you may or may not know this about the Apostle Paul, but Paul was a skilled leather worker or a tent maker. And so Paul's telling us here as to not be a burden, a financial burden to these brand new Christians as this brand new church got off the ground says, Paul labored day and night so that they wouldn't even be tempted to believe that he was in it for greedy motives. Right, so we can just picture the apostle Paul, man, he's, he's up before the crack of dawn. He's working away by candlelight early in the morning, right? He's making his, his leather tents and then the sun comes up 7 a.m. and he's out in the marketplace. He's selling his goods so that he can buy and pay for his own food and lodging as to not be a burden to these brand new Christians no doubt as he's in the marketplace looking for opportunities to share the gospel with other merchants, with, with buyers, with customers. In the afternoon, we can kind of picture him. He's, he's likely having lunch in someone's home, undoubtedly sharing the gospel with them. Why? Hey, Paul, why are you here in Thessalonica? Why did you come here? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Let me, let me tell you exactly why I came. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. In the afternoon, he's back in the marketplace. He's selling his goods. Maybe he goes over to the synagogue for a couple of hours and preaches the gospel to the Jews. In the evening after dinner, when everybody's kind of kicking back, having a glass of wine, maybe a little bit of flatbread dipped in some hummus, Paul is again by candlelight working into the wee hours of the morning so he's not a burden to anybody else. Why, because he had to? No, because he wanted to be a demonstration of sacrificial love to these Thessalonian new Christians. He wanted them to know that his motives were, were pure and blameless and that the gospel message was true, right? He wanted them to know he wasn't after their money or anything else. He simply wanted them to know that Jesus was after their hearts, that he loved them and created them and wanted to have a relationship with them. 
And he was willing to sacrifice so much personally to make sure that they saw a great witness of what this gospel message could do in someone's life. And even in this, church family, even in this, the implications are radically profound for us. Followers of Jesus, I'm just, followers of Jesus ought to be, listen guys, ought to be the hardest working, best employees in every city in the world. Just, just dream with me for, for a moment. Like, what, what would happen if every single time a new business opened in Asheville, and listen, there are constantly new businesses opening, right? Restaurants, bars, breweries, hotels, you name it. They're all, every time I drive down the road, there's a new business open. What would happen if every single time a new business opened in Asheville, the first question a business owner asked was, where are the Christians at around here? Where's the closest church? Let me, go, let me go find some of these Christians. I think they're crazy for what they believe, but here's what I know about them. They are gonna be the hardest, most on, hardest working, most honest, caring workers in the entire city. And Paul modeled this for us. He's actually gonna circle back around to this in more detail in his second letter to the Thessalonians, which we'll likely study as soon as we conclude uh, this letter. But this should be a part of who we are. This should be our reputation. We're hard workers. We're honest, we're caring, we're trustworthy. He continues on in verse 11, he says, for, for you know how like a, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he says, listen guys, not only were we like a gentle nurturing mother to you, we were also like a strong, encouraging father. And this is really a picture of how a father should be, right? Strong, courageous, and yet a loving encourager. Paul's like, listen, guys, we encouraged you. Uh, we charged you, right? This is like military language. Like we, we charged you, hey, it's time to man up. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and his glory. See, church family, God has called us to live lives that fit the worthiness of our Savior. Worthy Savior should produce worthy lives. He's saying, beloved brothers and sisters, let us not live lives that represent Jesus wrongly. Why? Because, because the, the world around us is watching us and eternity hangs in the balance. I love the famous quote by, by C.S. Lewis once said, I love this, you have never met a mere mortal. Do you realize that? You've never met a mere mortal. Everyone you meet in life is going to spend forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. So what Paul is saying is, is here, God, let's, let's make sure that our lives don't become stumbling blocks to the gospel that we proclaim with our mouths. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Because that sounds nice and pretty and looks good on paper, but practically, how do we live this kind of worthy life that Paul is talking about, that he lived out in front of us and asked us to imitate him? How do we do that? Can, can we do that in our own strength? Can, can we accomplish it just by trying harder or just by trying to, to muster up an, a more, more self-discipline or self-will? Man, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna try harder. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be better. I'm not gonna look at the same thing on the internet that I looked at last night. I'm not gonna use this, the harsh words that I used with my friends or family members last week. I'm gonna, I just gotta try harder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself, I'm gonna be more disciplined. Does that work? 
In the long run, I think it can short, work for, for a short amount of time, but at least for me, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I have tried and I have failed again and again and again because I'm not smart enough or strong enough or self-disciplined enough to live this kind of worthy life that Paul is talking about in my own flesh and in my own strength. No, we live worthy lives by pressing into a worthy savior. Jesus gives us the code. He gives us the key to unlock this kind of life in John chapter 15, right? We're not gonna get there by just trying harder. We're not gonna get there by just trying to be better. The only way we can live this kind of abundant, worthy life is by pressing into a worthy savior, guys. There's no, there's no workaround. There's no shortcut to this. It's, it's spending time with him. Are you, listen, believer, are you carving out time in your day to spend with the Lord? Are you too busy to spend time with Jesus? Listen, if you're too busy to spend time with Jesus, you're too busy. You need to start clearing junk off of your plate. So man, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta spend time with him. We gotta spend time with a worthy savior so that we have a worthy life. So we gotta spend time reading his word. We gotta spend time praying, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our lives and our hearts and our thoughts and our tongues and our actions. And friend, listen, it is only as we abide in Jesus that we can begin to live that abundant life that he promised us, the worthy life that Paul is telling us about here. So let me just say as we wrap up the, uh, uh, the message this morning, if you're, if, you're, if you're in the room or maybe, I don't, maybe you're watching online, let me just say if you're, if you're not in Christ this morning, if you would just have to say, man, like, I, I don't have that, man. Like, I got some religious background stuff. I know some Bible verses. I grew up in church. I, you know, whatever. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I try to recycle. I try to whatever. I, I, whatever it is. But I don't have what you're talking about. I don't have this authentic relationship with my creator through Jesus in a way that actually transforms the way that I live my life so that I can live a life that is worthy of a worthy Savior. Like, I don't, I don't have that. If that's you, if you would just have to admit that, like, man, that, that's me, that is totally, if I'm just being honest, that, that is me. I don't have this life-transforming relationship with my creator through Christ. I want you to, that, that's okay. That, that's where all of us were at one point in our lives. That's where I spent half of my life. But if that's where you are, I want you to know that you don't have to walk out of here, you don't have to log off this morning until that changes. I want you to know, dear friend, that you're invited to the table this morning, that you're invited into the family of God. And I want you to know the very first step to living a worthy life is embracing Jesus as your savior, not just your savior, as your Lord is getting to that point in your life where you're willing to wave the white flag of surrender and say, God, I'm so tired of trying to do this in my own strength. I can't. I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this out on my own. I can't be a good enough person or a moral enough person on my own. I can't, I'm exhausted. And so God, I just wanna, the best way I know how, I just wanna turn from my sin 
I want to repent from choosing my way over your way. And Jesus, maybe for the first time, I want to submit, surrender my life to you. And I want you to send your Holy Spirit to live in me and to guide me and to convict me of sin so that I can live this abundant and worthy life that Jesus talks about and Paul talks about and Christians throughout history have talked about. I want this. So if that's you, if that's your heart's cry, man, I just, I would, I would implore you, I would beg you to pray a prayer like that right now, just in the silence of your own heart. God promises that if you call out, he will respond, he will save you. Now, I would say to those of you in the room who are already in Christ, the challenge for you this morning would be also a very simple challenge. It'd be this, would you commit would you commit in some way, practically speaking, to go deeper with Jesus this week? I don't know what that looks like for you, but would you make a commitment right now in this moment before you walk out of here and you get distracted with a hamburger that you're about to eat for lunch or the NFL playoff game that you're gonna watch or whatever it is and you forget all about this. Right now, make the commitment before you leave this room, before you log off online, to take one step to go deeper with Jesus this week. One step to trust him more, one step to commune with him more deeply this week, one way that you could kind of self-evaluate your life to make sure that you're aligning the words of your mouth with the way that you actually live your life. Would you make that commitment right now in this moment, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your heart and your mind, would you say, yes, Lord? I will make that commitment. I will be obedient to what your spirit is telling me to do right now in this moment. And may God give us the grace to do that this week. Let's pray, church, and then we're gonna worship. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We're grateful for these ancient words that are God-breathed, that are authoritative for our life and our practice. We thank you that you've given us your word to guide us. We thank you that you've sent your spirit to impress these truths into our hearts in a deep way that actually transforms the way that we live our lives. God, would you constantly remind us that our lives are actually the evidence of our message. It actually matters how we live our lives, not just what we proclaim with our mouths or believe in our minds intellectually. God, would you help us to connect those dots? Would you help us to press into you, to know you more deeply so that we could walk out this worthy, abundant life that Paul talks about, God? Would you teach us in a culture that's becoming more and more radically anti-gospel, anti-Christian, anti-Bible, would you teach us, would you prompt us to live with a boldness, God, that would water fruitfulness in the lives of those around us. Not in an obnoxious way, not in an off-putting way, but full of love and grace, God, that our words would match our lives and that people would have to look at us and say, man, there is something supernatural about that person. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about them. God, would you give us that kind of boldness, not just in our words, but with our lives, God. And then finally, Father, would you help us in a world full of people pleasers, would you help us to stand up, to be willing to stand alone if need be, not to be a man pleaser, not to be a, a people pleaser, but to be a pleaser of King Jesus, to live for an audience of one. 
God, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to guide us. We pray all this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.